Welcome to another episode of Civicus Voices with me, Auntie Narsi. This is the last episode in our third season, which focused on protest actions and the right to freedom of peaceful assembly. Today we look at something that I truly wish wasn't an issue even worth mentioning. When parents send their children and teenagers to school, they should be worrying about their grades and their social lives, not whether they might be in physical danger. And yet school safety, especially related to gun violence, is a real threat. Your mind may go to the USA. The country sees hundreds of mass shootings every year, which is increasing. And training children in the event of possible school shootings has almost become a normality. But this is an international problem. Amnesty International reports that 44% of homicides globally involve gun violence, meaning more than 500 people die every day. Brazil has seen almost two dozen attacks or violent episodes in schools in the last 20 or so years. Half of those happened in the last year, including one at a daycare center in April. A man in Thailand killed 23 children and several adults at a daycare center last year. Recently, a 13-year-old student in Belgrade, Serbia, opened fire in his school, making it the first shooting of its kind in the country. There have been similar killings of children from Afghanistan and Pakistan to Scotland and Norway over the last years and decades. But after the immediate shock and grief has subsided, what can civil society do to ensure that this doesn't happen in their communities again? Today we'll hear from voices from Brazil and Serbia on how children and adults have tried to act against this terrible violence. Let's start with Brazil, where there have been several significant school shootings over the past years. These already led to calls for increased gun control and mental health support in schools. But attacks seem to have increased in recent years. For instance, in April this year, a man killed four children and injured several others in a daycare centre in the south of the country. It seems that in the week after this incident, hundreds of people were arrested for spreading hate speech or encouraging school violence. It seems that in the weeks after this incident, hundreds of people were arrested in the country for spreading hate speech or encouraging school violence. Other official responses include the state of Sao Paulo temporarily hiring around 550 mental health care workers and a thousand private security guards in schools. But is it enough? Bruno Langiani is a project manager at the Instituto Sudupa, which focuses on reducing levels of violence in Brazil. He is a specialist in gun control policies and the lead author of a recent publication about school shootings in Brazil in the last two decades. Bruno, thank you so much for joining us on Civicus Voices. It's a pleasure. I've given a short introduction, but tell us from your research, what have you observed about school shootings in the country? Brazil usually didn't have like a tradition for mass shootings in general or school shootings. We have had like a handful of cases since 2002 until this first decade or first 15 years. But we have seen like a tendency to increase those cases, especially since 2019 and strongly with more intensity since 2022. And what we have seen is that they tend to occur more on public schools rather than private schools. And we 
can see previous relations between the school attacked and the aggressor, so the perpetrator. So it doesn't seem to be random choice of place to attack, but rather something that has a connection with previous experience of the students or former students with their school. And the other thing that's important to raise that we have analyzed in our study, and that happens also elsewhere, is the cases that involve firearms are much more little than the others. So just to give introductory figure, the cases uh, where we have firearms involved as the main weapon doesn't reach half of the cases. But when we turn to see the victims, the cases with firearms account for three quarter of all the victims that ended losing their life in the attack. So this is something that we are also trying to analyze and bring more info in order to help subsidize public policies that can prevent those kind of attacks. What has been the reaction of Brazilian young people and civil society to this? Yeah, first of all, this is kind of attacks tend to cause lots of fear and despair among the society, especially when you look at attacks that are targeting kindergarten places or really like young school children. And when it happened, especially like last year and this year with more concentrated cases, it tends to spread a lot of anxiety and fear among families. And this has led to a call for public policy and a lot of pressure under the lawmakers and governors and the president. And this has, of course, two effects. One, it's positive in a sense that force different actors to sit together and try to understand the phenomenon and bring measures to curb it. But it has also a side effect and bad effect that is to, in many cases, bring responses that are populist and don't really tend to help the problem and sometimes it tends to make it worse. We have seen, unfortunately, a lot of governors announcing without a lot of studies and planning measures to like put armed police officers inside schools. And what we have seen by analyzing those attacks is that the most effective measures are the ones that involve the school community, the teachers, the families, because those attacks doesn't happen out of the blue. The aggressors usually, they give lots of signals of intolerance, of violence, sometimes uh, starting to be much more isolated than you expect for a young teenager. So if we equip the school with the capacity of identify those change of behaviors and bring together contacts from police and other public services, mental health assistance, for example, you can be much more effective preventing uh, those cases. And another effect that we have seen uh, that is particularly problematic is those cases are intended to create panic and they are very good at it. 
And when you start like concentrating many cases in one month or one week, you have a tendency of more aggressors trying to repeat those cases or repeat those threads and also a lot of rumors being spread among the community. And this is horrible because it makes the life of the uh, law enforcement agencies harder because they have more information to process. And on the other hand, you increase the stress with the families and the students and everything. So this is something that on the press side, community side, we also have to give information on how to do with information that you receive on your mobile phone by WhatsApp or Telegram and try to at least make some analysis before you start spreading this on all your groups with your families and friends. Advocating for gun control has brought some pushback for you as well as your organization, including attacks on the internet and lawsuits. Can you explain to us more what restrictions and reactions have protesters and the gun control movement been facing? In the past here in Brazil, and we have seen this elsewhere, everyone's stepping and advocating for gun control, for preventive measures that can help save lives in many cases are being harassed and this is something that is of course is related with fighting and wanting to have regulation for an industry that it's really powerful not just in other places but here in brazil too our gun and ammunition industry it's one of the third or fourth more relevant in the world. So we can imagine to challenge this kind of powers can be dangerous for organizations like us. But also those pro-guns group many times are also associated with right-wing movements and things like that. So it's very common for us to receive open threats on our social media or hidden threats by direct messages and things like that. But we are also facing different forms of harassments. That is, for example, a lots of ju- judicial cases against us for like bringing information and reports telling about the harms that guns do in our country. So what they want with the judicial cases is make our work harder to do, to intimidate our team. And sometimes it also can drain a lot our resources because if you are having to answer dozens of judicial cases, this divert us from working in advocacy or research or designing policy projects to help the government to deal better with this work. But I I must say, sometimes this harassment is even harder in other stakeholders, the ones who are doing grassroots work, but also persons that work with the subjects in Brazilian Congress or Senate are also being threatened, including receiving life threats on their emails and office. And it's not a coincidence that the last ones that we have seen in Brazil have harassed women in Congress. And as I said, many of those pro-guns movements are also right wings. And it's not a coincidence that they tend to target with their threats uh, women that are 
working in public policy in general. Looking at the government and the authorities' reactions, has any action made a significant change? And what would you say needs to be done? So the new president, Lula, in the campaign has already said that he wanted to make changes on this area. And in Brazil, it was like never prohibited for people to have guns. It's just that you have certain requirements to meet. So don't have background records. You have to pass a psychological test, a capacity test and things like that. But Bolsonaro has loosened a lot these requirements and this has generated a flood of firearms in Brazilian residences. And more than that, it allowed like civilians to have firearms that were equal or more powerful than the ones that are being used by the law enforcement agencies and armed forces. So as soon as Lula stepped in the office, he published a first decree that it's supposed to be temporary just to understand how many persons have acquired weapons to try to audit the databases and things like that, make sure that everyone who had the license didn't have, for example, a prior record. But there's still a lot to do because the permanent regulation still has to be published in order to make the rules clear, to reduce the power of weapons that are eligible for purchase, reduce like the limits of guns and ammunition that people can buy. But more than that, Solapaz thinks that just a new regulation, a better regulation is not enough because we still have to fill the public policy with a lot of foundation that we don't have. For example, to have like a good database with the firearms so that the police can trace weapons that are seized and were used in crime so that we have more capacity for the federal government to act in advance to avoid diversion of firearms, for example. But we also think that on the state level, where here in Brazil, most of the polices are located, we need to create special units that deal just with the illicit market. Do investigations to help identifying firearms trafficking, helps to identifying guns meets that are working with gun groups and criminal groups in general, so that we can have like a more effective policy that can prevent weapons to reach wrong hands and prevent those weapons to shoot and take lives of Brazilians. Brazil, unfortunately, is one known place for armed violence in general. And this, of course, is connected with the problem of organized crime, but we also have more common crime. And by that, I mean a husband that kills the wife, a person who kills the neighbor because of any kind of stupid argument or bar fights that end in a tragedy of someone being killed. And we had lots of uh, solid academic work showing that to have a good gun uh, and ammunition control can help a lot the public sector to bring more security to their citizens. What can we learn internationally from Brazil in terms of mobilizing for change around this? 
So I believe the most interesting thing to look on Brazilian experience is to take a step back and look what the civil society has done before 2003 when the new legislation on gun control was passed and was an innovation that has been copied in many other countries. And the civil society, in order to achieve this change and to overcome the power of Brazilian industry, had to work with different sectors and mobilize, for example, religious groups, big media companies, and be very creative in terms of which kind of protests we are doing and demonstrations in order to highlight the problem that firearms were taking the life of Brazilian youth and killing on average 50,000 persons a day. So civil society was talking, for example, on to introducing this subject in Brazilian soap operas that are really popular. So uh, making this subject more present and make people aware of what should be the solution and direct their pressure to the like right stakeholders. So direct this pressure to Brazilian Congress was decisive for us to be able to approve this law in 2003, that is the prerequisite and the foundation from where we can build on and start having a better public policy. Thank you, Bruno, for joining us. It was a pleasure. That was Bruno Langiani, a project manager at the Instituto Sudupa in Brazil. And what Bruno highlighted is that these kinds of attacks usually come with some kind of warning signals. For example, the behavior of the future perpetrator. We should also be paying attention to online hate and violence, which can often translate into offline hate. And I think it's crucial that community support and mobilization is important for tackling this issue. It's not just about a single solution, but having a holistic intervention. So we really need to go beyond just public policy. As I mentioned earlier, one of the most recent school shootings to make international headlines was in Serbia. In early May this year, at a primary school in the capital Belgrade, a young student opened fire, resulting in the death of nine students who were between the ages of 13 and 14, as well as a security guard. Two days later, this incident was followed by another unrelated mass shooting, which is extremely rare in the country. This sparked mass protests with thousands of people marching against violence more broadly in the nation. These demonstrations spread throughout and even called for the resignation of the president, and they continue at the time of recording. Although Serbia has very strict gun laws, it has one of the highest guns per capita rate in the world, with a culture of gun ownership and guns as trophies very common. To speak to us about this is Vuk Svetovic, a Serbian high school student who works with the Emisipitamo Initiative. This is an informal group of secondary school students advocating for more participatory decision-making around school policy. Vuk has mobilized others and has been involved in eco- and political activism and, of course, related strongly to the recent tragedy. It was shocking. 
it was something no one had expected and it truly really moved us all. Parents were freaked out, teachers were freaked out, students couldn't go to school. Nobody could function normally. That's the, the most important thing that I see, that everything was just in a state of shock. There was no school shootings before this. This was the first one in Serbia as a country. So that is why it has attracted so much attention and why people have, if I can say, gone mad about it since there is no laws considering this. There is very little laws considering guns and also mental health of the high school students is really in danger. Protests are held once a week, usually on weekends, Saturdays. So there is as many people as we can gather. There have been seven or eight protests, which is quite a lot considering there is over 20,000 people on every single one of them. That is a huge number considering how long it is happening. The thing that is shown most on our TVs, on our news and everything is violence. And we don't want that. There is violence in reality shows, there is violence in the news, there is violence in president speeches. That is something we don't want to see. And that is something that is sparkling even more violence in young children, in young adults and in students. And we just want that to stop. Protests have been peaceful, both from protesters and the government. They have not responded with force. But it has been difficult to organize protests and to organize it with police and just keeping everyone safe. All the streets need to be closed down. But the biggest problem is not with police or the government. The biggest problem is with people. People just don't understand that we all have to fight this fight. And that a lot of people, when we close down the streets, when we march through the boulevards, they tend to, to swear and just don't like people that are fighting against something. They just want everything to stay the same. They're just done with the government. They just don't want to do anything. And I think that's completely wrong. And that, that mentality needs to change. And the thing I see as the biggest problem is that even my peers nowadays, they are not as motivated as they were before. They're just losing hope. They just don't want to fight anymore. We have uh, mobilized around 5,000 young adults who before that weren't as interested in coming to the streets. They thought it was something that it was a fight that cannot be won and they just didn't want to take part in it. After our protests, a lot of young people were involved in it. We were given a lot of media attention here in Serbia and so that is something that, that definitely can be worked on but it's something good that we've done. We have mobilized a lot of young people to come to the streets. I mean, I think it concerns most the, the emotions, the, the people were just moved by what happened. So I don't think that anyone normal could stay sitting at home while children were being murdered. That is something we must fight, and something we must improve the quality of schools, we must improve the children's mental health, which is being completely pushed under the carpet. So this was something that had to move the regular people out of the houses and into the streets. That was Vuk Svitkovic, a Serbian high school student. Vuk highlighted that the role that media and entertainment can play in relation to the promotion of the culture of violence. This coupled with what I mentioned earlier, the hate on social media, can also provide a breeding ground for this violence to take place. He also touched on the issue of mental health. 
which is often something that isn't spoken about enough. And it's clear that incidents of gun violence at schools can result in trauma for young people and really have long-term consequences. That's it for this episode. One thing that really came through in this episode is that we should not only be pushing governments to act in terms of tightening gun laws, but also providing mental health services for young people. These services are not only important for those who have witnessed gun violence, but it can also help in terms of dealing with warning signs which may be triggers for hate and violence in society. You can find Civicus online and on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe, listen and rate the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you to all our guests today and to you for listening. Civicus Voices is produced by Alna Schütz, Jermaine Kricher and the Civicus team. My name is Artie Narsi and that's it for this season. Until next time, goodbye.